Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome everybody to my fourth Tuesday Revolutionize Your Retirement interview with expert series. I'm Dory Mincer, owner of Revolutionize Retirement and your host. I am so delighted. Today our topic is exploring your identity, creativity, and life structure in retirement. And I want to introduce you to a really wonderful woman, Dr. Teresa Amabile. Um, I had met Teresa years ago when she was doing creativity work, and then we reconnected a little bit around her retirement work, and I'm just delighted that she's our guest today. Let me just tell you a little about her. She has researched and written about creativity for over 40 years. She began with a series of papers in the 1970s and 80s and was instrumental in establishing the social psychology of creativity, the study of how the social environment can influence creative behavior, primarily by influencing motivational state. Her research has examined individual creativity and productivity, team creativity, and organizational innovation. This program of research has yielded a comprehensive theory of creativity and innovation, methods for assessing creativity, motivation, and the work environment, and a set of prescriptions for maintaining and stimulating both individual creativity and organizational innovation. Her more recent research has investigated how everyday life inside organizations can influence people and their performance by affecting their inner work life, the confluence of motivation, emotion, and perceptions. She's currently studying retirement and post-employment life, including the impact of creative activities on attitudes toward aging and experiences in later life. Her scholarly work has appeared in a variety of psychology and organizational behavior journals, as well as her 2011 book with Stephen Kramer called The Progress Principle, Using Small Wins to Ignite Joy, Engagement, and Creativity at Work. She's presented her work to audiences in a variety of settings, including Pixar, Genetech, TEDx, Atlanta, Apple, and the World Economic Forum in Davos. 2018, Teresa received the Lifetime Achievement Award, Award from the Organizational Behavior Development Division of the Academy of Management and the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Israel Organizational Behavior Conference and the Distinguished Scholar Award from the Society of Personality and Social Psychology. In 2011 and 13, she was named the Global uh, Thinkers 50 list. She holds a BS in chemistry from Canisius College and a PhD in psychology from Stanford University. And her, she is currently the Baker Foundation professor at Harvard Business School and, as I said, a researcher, teacher, and author. So I am so delighted that you are with us today, Teresa. And is it okay that I call you Teresa rather than Dr. Amambale? Absolutely, Dory. It's wonderful to be on this webinar with you and your listeners. Thank you. And we have a lot of people listening from, I think, all over the world, mostly in this country, but professionals and the public. So, you know, I know your current research is still in progress and maybe won't be completed for a couple of years, but, you know, tell us, if you would, about the research, you know, you and your team are working on and how did you get into researching retirement and, you know, what are you hoping is going to be the, um, what you're going to learn by the time you're done studying this? <laughs> I have an absolutely <laughs> wonderful research team. I'm going to tell you, first of all, our personal reasons for, for doing this research. I, I have five wonderful colleagues on the research team with me and, uh, Four of those colleagues are at the same stage of life that I am, and that is right around the retirement transition or already retired. One member of the research team is a doctoral student at Harvard Business School, Jeff Steiner. The other members of the team are Lottie Balin, MIT, Tim Hall, and Kathy Cram, Boston University, and Marcy Crary, Bentley University. So during the six years now, almost six years that we've been working together on this very massive research program, we have either been already retired or have gone through the retirement transition ourselves of all of us, except for Jeff, uh, who is a long way from retirement, we hope. 
So we we were interested, frankly, in in having a more evidence based retirement for ourselves, I guess you could say. But more importantly, and more seriously, we were all intrigued by the psychological and social transitions that accompany retirement. It's well known that health and wealth are important determinants of the retirement decision and people's happiness in retirement. But we wanted to go well beyond health and wealth and and look at things like identity, which often goes through major shifts and, uh, and, and, and often presents people with a struggle during the retirement transition. We want to look at creativity. And as you mentioned in your background bio, I've studied creativity really most of my career. And we were fascinated to, to look at whether and how people engaged in creative activities during the transition and afterwards and what impact it might have had on them. We're interested in relationships and in the many, many ways that people have to restructure their lives when this thing called work that they engaged in for 40 or 50 or 60 years, taking up most of their waking hours in adulthood, when that thing is now vanished from their lives. So that's, in a nutshell, what what drove us in this research. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, it's interesting because now you've got the perspective of most all of you except for the, the younger person who's part of your team as well as studying it. So, you know, why don't we focus about kind of identity to start with and, you know, what is it about identity and, you know, what makes it so important in retirement and what have we been learning about it that would be helpful for people to to hear more about? We've learned that identity is is enormously important for for most of the people that we have been interviewing. I, I just want to, to say a bit about who it is we've been interviewing. Oh, that's we, a good point. <laughs> yeah, we, we recruit, we decided to recruit people for the study from uh, corporations. We decided also to look at professionals because we needed to bound the study in some way. So these are people who could be considered knowledge workers, uh, white-collar workers in, in sort of old terminology at various levels. So from from being individual contributors, such as uh, scientists or engineers working in product development, through team leaders, middle-level managers, and all the way up to the C-suite. We actually do have a couple of people who are very high-level executives, even, even corporate-level executives in our study. We conducted quite long interviews using a sort of a, a semi-structured interview protocol where we had a set of topics and questions that we asked, but really allowed our our participants to go anywhere they wanted in talking about these questions that we were asking them. We had a total of 83 older adults participate in this in this study, either people who were currently working in these three companies where we recruited participants, and they were all, almost all, over age 55, but had not yet made the retirement decision, most of those people who were working. We also recruited retirees from these companies, people who had retired in the previous five years. So we were able to zero in on what the experience of those early years of retirement are like. And of those 83 people, there's a very special group of 12 whom, rather than interviewing once, we interviewed multiple times because they were going to be retiring in the year that we were collecting data in their company. So we thought these, these people are especially interesting to us because we can interview them ideally a few times before they retire and then talk to them very soon after they retire and follow them for ideally one or two or even three years after they retire, speaking to them every few months and finding out how things are going for them and what's important to them at that point in their lives and how they're doing. So we did this with these 12 people. 
in addition to these 83 older adults, we also interviewed 37 millennials in this study uh, to get their views on retirement. I'm not going to focus on them because we really haven't analyzed their data very carefully yet, but we have spent the last couple of years delving very deeply into the interviews of the older adults. And we also have a lot of survey data on them. We've had them fill out daily diaries for us before we interview them. So we have a lot of information about them and their lives and how they spend their time and what's important to them. So is that is that a good background giving you a sense of how we did the research and who we talked to? Yeah, I think that's helpful. It'll be interesting to hear as you analyze the uh, millennials later too, some of how the views differ. Can you, you said you had sort of more open-ended, semi-structured sort of questions. Can you share just a few of the kind of questions you asked people? Yes. We asked questions, first of all, about their jobs, their careers, and what kinds of things they did or do in their work, and what kinds of activities they, they do outside of work or did outside of work before they retired, if they were retired. We asked them what they found meaningful in their work, if anything. We asked them about the mix of creative and non-creative activities in their work and in their activities outside of work. And we asked them in general sort of about their career and their career progress. We asked a lot of questions about identity in that section of the interview. One of the more interesting questions showed people uh, pairs of circles where one circle was labeled you and the other one was labeled work. And these circles start out being very separate from each other. That was A. And in B, they were a little closer together. C, closer still. D, they were touching. E, they overlapped partially. And F, they overlap completely. And we said, if you is your identity, who you think of yourself as, at the core of who you are, and work is your work, how close are those two? We wanted to get a sense of how closely people identified with their work. And we found that uh, the answers ranged all the way from A, I am completely separate from my work, to F, I am so completely bound up in my work. That, that is my primary identity. And we found, of course, everything in between. Another way of getting at this, we asked people, would you be more likely to say that your work is what you do or your work is who you are? And then when they gave their answer, we asked them, tell me about that. Explain your answer to that. So those were a couple of the many questions we asked about identity to try to get a sense of how important work was to that identity. And we think we're seeing some, some differences there, which I can talk about in a second when I, when I talk mm -hmm. about the identity results that we're finding. We also ask a lot of questions about relationships. We also, at work and outside of work, we ask a lot of questions about people's experience of their everyday work lives. To what extent was it positive? What was positive about it? Uh, describe some positive interactions and positive experiences you had at work. Describe the negative, if there are negatives. And, of course, not surprisingly, about the second third to, to second half of the interview focused on retirement. And we asked a variety of questions about their attitudes toward retirement. Did they, could they tell us about someone they knew of who had what they viewed as a good retirement life? What about a bad retirement life? What were they looking forward to in retirement? Was there anything that they were not looking forward to, anything that concerned them? And what did they envision for themselves? What was their planning like? Had they made the decision? How did they think they were going to make the decision? And if they were retired, we asked a lot of questions about how they were experiencing their retirement life. So about identity, we found that many people, did identify with their work to, to some extent. We found that some who identified very strongly with their work felt kind of lost after retirement. Uh, didn't, didn't 
quite know who they were to some extent because their their lives and their identities had been so bound up with that work. And there there were some identity struggles, I would say, that we've seen in, in some people going through the transition or some people who had recently retired where they had a sense of uneasiness. Uh, sometimes it was more of an, a sense of excited exploration where people would say things like, I'm, I'm looking forward to using these early years of my retirement to discover who I really am, which we found fascinating. You're 60, 65 years old, and you don't know who you really are. But there were not many, but a, a small number of people who actually seemed to go into retirement with this exciting, a little bit anxious, mostly excited sense of, I want to figure out who I am at my core, at my heart, because work has taken up such a big piece of who I am. And that didn't necessarily come across as negative for them. It was, it was something they were looking forward to. Others, it was a little bit more on the anxious or, or sad side that that loss of the work identity felt like a real loss. You know, I, I, I loved saying that I was proud associate of this particular company and I can't say that anymore. I feel a little bit like I'm on yesterday's news. So we, we did find that, that there was that discomfort. And some people, we also saw various strategies that people use to deal with these identity issues. And I, I could talk about that a little bit if, if you'd like to hear about it. No, absolutely. And I think well, I have a question right before. Did you find differences in terms of gender and also cultural? I don't, you know, I don't know how much some of the people you interviewed, in, interviewed were all from the United States or from different cultures uh, and also kind of men, women, and, and some of the identity shifts or struggles or excitement having anything to do with gender or culture? I have to say that we have not systematically analyzed for gender differences in the, in the identity issues yet. Uh-huh. I can give you my impression from the uh, 40 or so interviews that I personally did, but but that's going to be very much impressionistic. We did not look at differences between cultures for the very simple reason that we decided to focus only on on people who were employed by U.S.-based companies. And we did that because retirement laws are so different in different countries. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, many other industrializations have mandatory retirement ages still. Uh, the U.S. did away with mandatory retirement in 1986. In fact, made it illegal to require anyone to retire at a given age in the U.S., except for a very small number of professions that are involved with public health and safety, such as active duty police officers, air traffic controllers, those, those sorts of jobs, airline pilots. But most of us have the the luxury and the kind of heavy responsibility of deciding for ourselves when we're going to retire. And we really wanted to look at that, that that decision-making process. So for that reason, we only focused on the U.S. I can tell you my impressions about possible differences in the identity issues between men and women. Would you like to hear that? Sure, please. <laughs> okay. So I my my impression of the older adults that I interviewed – was that a question, would you be more likely to say your job is what you do or your job is who you are, was answered differently by men and women. Not Certainly not all. Some men answered with a more typically female pattern and vice versa. But those that I interviewed, I had the distinct impression that men tended to answer that question quickly. Like, they, did, they didn't have to reflect on it very much. And they tended, I think, to be more likely to say, it's who I am. But that's not overwhelming. That last part is not overwhelming. Many men said, it's what I do. It's not who I am. Mm-hmm. But they answered quickly. Men tended to not 
need time to think about that. Women tended to answer more slowly, at least the ones that I was interviewing. They looked kind of thoughtful. They reflected. It wasn't a long pause in most cases. It was just maybe maybe a few seconds. But that seems long when you're having a face-to-face conversation with somebody. And then uh, they would give their answer. But their answers tended to be more complex. So they they might say, it's who I am, but it's not all who I am by any means. And then they would they would give a more nuanced answer about that than just saying it's it's who I am. Or they might say, Oh, it's what I do. But then they would go on to say, I do have certain parts of me that are very invested in my work. They would again give that more nuanced answer. So I think that it's more how how quickly they they were able to get that answer out. And I'm not sure what that might mean. If it, assuming that this holds up when we look across all of our interviewees, I'm not sure what that might mean. Do you have any sense of that, Dora? Because I know this is something that you, you've certainly thought a lot about in, in your coaching of people for the retirement transition. Well, I think in part from my experience, some of it's been shifting some because I, I do think that, you know, women now being much more part of the labor force, the issues about sort of work being more of one's identity is getting stronger. But I think uh, I'm not surprised to sort of hear what you, what you've been saying in terms of sort of oftentimes men say this is who I am. And women, the work is really important and I think becoming more and more important. But there are other aspects of identity that more mm-hmm. women tend to articulate, although, you know, that's a stereotype because men also will articulate, you know, other aspects of identity. But the the loss of the work one sometimes is just even more paramount, particularly in some professions where, you know, it's it's the career and the career identity and, you know, who am I without that you know, that mm-hmm. um, status and identification. Yeah, but, yeah. And, you know, something you just said made me realize that a number, given the generation of people that were interviewed, these people who are over 55, many of them over 60, a few over 70, given that generation, we actually have a number of women who took a few years out of the workforce while they were raising families. And I cannot, off the top of my head, think of any men, uh, again, of this generation who are in our sample of interviewees who took a a significant chunk of time Mm -hmm. out of the workforce for, you know, for raising a family. So women, you know, are more likely, I think, of that generation perhaps to have a more Mm -hmm. strongly ingrained parent identity uh, not that men don't have that as an identity, certainly. If they're parents, they often will say that that's an important part of their identity. But for women, uh, that, that is often, I think, a larger chunk of it, even though work may, yeah. may be very important to them. Right. No, I, I do yeah. agree, and I see that a lot in, in my work. And also, I mean, I was just thinking, and maybe we'll get to it more at the end, too, but, you know, I also have found, and, and more and more people who are sort of excited about the the what's next, what am I retiring to, but but that sense of grief and loss. And so it's interesting to hear, mm-hmm. you know, how it has come up in some of the research su- subjects. But, but talk more, and then we'll, you know, at the end maybe we'll have more time to kind of come back to some of that of, you know, you mentioned that you found some strategies that people were seeming to use to deal with some of these identity issues. That might be really helpful to to share some of that. Yes. Well, I I should say that there are a, there are some people, even some people who identified very strongly with their work, who chose the overlapping circles or circles that were overlapping to some degree, who were able to kind of just close the door on that work identity when they retired. And we didn't see evidence of, of, of any struggle with that. They just embraced the other parts of their identity more, more strongly after retirement or maybe developed 
develop some new identities from by getting engaged in new activities, new, new, new groups, new kinds of relationships and started to think of themselves as, you know, for example, as a sailor or, or as a tennis player or as a volunteer working to help refugees. These identities seem to develop uh, kind of easily and th- there didn't seem to be much grief over leaving that work identity behind. We think in many cases, if, and again, these analyses are right now very actively in progress, but we think that some people who are able to just get that closure right at the time they retire are able to just feel very good about the career they had, that work identity they had, maybe they feel very good about the organization, about some kind of legacy they left behind with the organization, and they kind of I imagine them sort of psychologically putting a bow on it for themselves and, mm-hmm. and, and then setting it on the shelf. And that's, that's something that I can feel good about. It's part of my history. It's part of my life story. I think a few people, maybe more than a few, we will see, were able to do that closure because they, they just wanted to slam the door on their their work life. Even if they had earlier in their careers identified strongly with their work or with the organization, we saw unfortunately a number of people who got disillusioned with their organization in the last few years that they were working, often because they felt they were being discriminated against because of their age. And that's not something we like to talk about, but I I do believe it happens. I believe that we saw this with some people in I'm not going to say in all three of the organizations that we studied, but we did see some of that. And at least from their perspective, they were put into a job that there was no way they could do adequately because it was it required a skill set that they did not have at all. And uh, they felt that they were essentially being forced out of the organization because uh, it was either that or get a terrible performance review, and they didn't want that to happen or they just didn't like the way the culture of the organization was changing. They felt that younger people were much more desired by the organization, were given all the exciting work. They were given the non-creative, boring work. Their skills weren't valued. So unfortunately, in a few cases, the the identity closure happens because people just can't wait to get away. And and I personally feel kind of sad about that when, when I see that happen. But struggle afterwards that's gone that work identity is over it seems to us but we are very interested in the people who are able to maintain some aspects of that work identity that were important to them mm-hmm. and also aspects of their non-work identity that were important to them because the non-work identities sometimes undergo a shift as well, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. So let me first say just a few words about the people who, who do maintain some part of their work identity. What they can do in some cases is what we call laying the foundation for a new post-transition identity. This is one way of what we call identity bridging. So they're building a bridge from some pre-retirement identity, some aspect of it, to their post-retirement identity. And one way they do it is by finding something before they retire, finding something that they can engage in after they retire that will allow them to still maintain some important piece of that identity. So, for example... One person wanted to maintain this engineer identity that was very important to him in his work. It less than 40 years he'd worked as an engineer, and that was very important to him. So what he did before he retired was to find one or two community projects that he could get involved in as a volunteer that would allow him to still essentially work as an engineer, but in a much more flexible way with much less of a commitment, much less stress. The community was building a new high school, and the, the committee that was in charge of 
overseeing the project really used his expertise as a as an electrical engineer to help them, you know, identify a contractor who would fulfill those obligations well. And uh, he helped to oversee the project. And he found that very, very satisfying. So he, he was able to maintain that identity well into retirement. And it wasn't just a fantasy of his. It was actually due to his deployment of, of some of those skills in a way that, that really mattered. Uh, and we, we've, we've seen various other ways that people did this. Sometimes they did it with, um, sometimes they did it just after retirement. Uh, they retired and then they found some way deploying skills or using some aspect of that work identity that they had enjoyed having very much. Another way of identity bridging that people use was to double down on some non-work identity that they had before retiring, to reinvest in it in some way, to build it up. This was often with family relationships that because of working life can be so involving and take so many hours of one's life, some people feel like they really wanted to re-explore and, and recommit to family relationships that they had been as involved in as they wanted to be. So one person did this identity bridging by taking his husband identity and kind of trying to discover if his wife was going to still want him because he had been traveling for most of the 25 years, four days a week. His job took him away from home. So he was only there for three days a week. And much to his delight, she was there for him, and she very much wanted to re-engage and do things together. So he he became a very committed husband and, and family member with his kids and his grandkids at that point. So, so it doesn't have to be a work identity that people bridge. It can be a non-work identity as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it does sound like the research supports so much of what we see in the field of working with people around kind of this next stage of life and retirement coaching. And did did you find some differences at all between the kind of sense of the opportunities and the excitement if people thought about it ahead of time versus sort of just waited until it happened? I think that people have an easier time, a greater comfort level approaching the retirement transition, if they do some of this bridging work, this identity bridging beforehand, if they lay the foundation for it. I'm not saying that it can't happen if you do it afterwards, if you give yourself a little pause at at retirement Mm -hmm. and then then start that exploration. It's more often, I think, tinged with some anxiety and a sense of of, um, being at loose ends a bit if you haven't at least begun to think about it and explore some possibilities for bridging your identity uh, before the retirement transition. So I would, again, on the basis of our our preliminary findings, I I would recommend that to people. Uh And I I did did want to also comment about, I mean, ageism, unfortunately, is alive and well, and it does Mm. influence too often, and also internalized ageism, you know, if particularly if, if we know it exists around us and if in, and we really internalize it and feel, you know, that we're, we're over the hill or whatever, we become that way. So attitude mm-hmm. and sort of being able to, to recognize what you can do, not just focusing on what you can't do, I've just always found so important. Let's, let's oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yes. And I, I, can I just say one thing? If there's, if there are any organizational leaders or managers listening, please let your older workers know that they are valued, that they are appreciated, and that you will support them in finding engaging and creative work, even in the last years before their retirement. Okay, go ahead, Dorian. I just, I just put in that pitch. <laughs> no, I'm I'm very glad, and I and we do have people at various levels listening. From from really, we have people, as I looked at the list from all over the world on this call, which is just lovely, all over the globe. I just wanted to also integrate because I know so much of your work earlier is about creativity, and I wanted to just, you know, see if we could focus a little on what what have you learned about creativity and the ways in which people kind of manifested as they're older, in the older adulthood, but also pre-retirement and post-retirement. Mm. If you could kind of talk a little about that. Yeah. I want to say, first of all, because there are a lot of myths about creativity, 
I want to say that it's simply doing something novel that's valuable. Um, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. It doesn't have to be something in the arts. It can be in any domain of human activity. And uh, it doesn't have to be earth-shattering. It can just be something that's done in a way that's different, that's novel in some sense, and that's uh, useful or valuable or fits some, some goal or some aim. So with that definition, keeping that in mind, it's fascinating to look at how people answered the question of, you know, do you have both creative and more creative and less creative aspects to the work that you're doing for people who were currently working? Or we asked well, ask the same question about non-work activities. Uh, do you have both creative and non-creative activities in your non-work life or in your retirement life if you're retired? Uh, almost everyone said yes to that question. Almost no one would say, yeah, it's 100% non-creative or it's 100% creative. Most people did have a mix, and most people enjoyed having creativity in both their work and their non-work life. A few didn't really like having much creativity in their work life. They, they wanted to just know what they had to do and go in and do it and leave. Those tend to be people who did not identify with their work and who felt that the work was just a job. It was just what they did. It was just a means to an end of supporting themselves or supporting themselves and their family. But that was a very small minority of the, the 120 people that we interviewed overall. Most did have creative aspects and enjoyed having it, and many wanted more wanted more creativity in their work. So the first really interesting finding is before retirement, when people are still working, the more opportunities they have for creativity in their work, the more satisfied they are with their lives. Mm. We did not find the same correlation with non-work activities, interestingly. It was only the degree of creativity the degree of opportunity you have for creativity in your work life that predicted life satisfaction before retirement. And we found for those people who had retired, when we asked them about their work in the last few years before they retired, they were more satisfied with their current retirement life if they had had more opportunity to be creative in those later years. So we find this absolutely fascinating because, again, remember my plea to the the leaders and managers in your among your listeners a minute ago. If if those older workers have more of an opportunity to be creative, not only are they going to be more satisfied with their lives, and I would argue from our previous research, they're going to contribute more to the organization in those later years before they retire. But they're also going to have happier retirement lives afterwards. They're, I think they're more likely to be able to be in that category of people who can put the bow on their career and on their on their working lives and very, very happily turn to something else afterwards. So that's fascinating to us. Mm. We found in post-retirement life that people were, most of our retirees were really enjoying the aspects of their activities that allowed for creativity. And they fell, and activities fell into three buckets, if you will, uh, and they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, there were a number of people who had something going on in each of these categories. The first category is, is people doing things that were creative for them personally in their own lives, something that would affect them primarily. So learning a new language was something that a number of our uh, retirees were doing and really enjoying doing. Often it wasn't because even they were taking a trip to a particular foreign country. Often it was just because they wanted to learn a new language. They thought it would be fun. And it was both a, an intellectual activity and often a social activity if they were taking classes. A number of people were learning to play a musical instrument, even if they had never played a musical instrument before in some cases. Uh, we had one person who was customizing a motorcycle uh, that he had just purchased. Many people exercise their creativity by planning interesting trips 
for themselves and, and usually for their, their partner was, was going to be accompanying them on these trips. So that's for themselves. The second category is doing things that are creative sort of for their local world, family or the neighborhood or their community. So we had one person who really enjoyed cooking for his family. This was a retiree and he loved inventing new combinations of food and recipes and, and meals for his family from the, the things that he and his family were growing in their organic garden that they had out of bath. Another person was doing volunteer work with kids in a, a local elementary school and feeling that that was a great outlet for creativity. Someone else was renovating the exterior of, of their home and doing that not just for themselves and their family, but feeling that they were doing it from the neighborhood. And they, they and their neighbors would often talk about the way in which they were going to really make their neighborhood look better. And the third category is doing things that are creative on a grander scale, things that could actually touch people around the world, potentially. We had one person who had been spent most of his career writing advertising copy, and uh, he got into screenwriting and film production and actually had one or two of his uh, short films produced after retirement. And, and that was, you know, for him, very exciting. Another one who had been a chemist in an R&D department in, in their previous company was uh, in retirement experimenting with ways to sequester carbon in the soil, which, you know, if it turned out to be a useful method, and was inexpensive and easy to do could could have a big impact on uh, on reducing the the threats of climate change. Someone else was thinking of writing a book, sort of a husband and wife team in retirement were thinking of pairing up, and he was going to write the book for it was a book for children, and she was going to be the illustrator. Another one was organizing relief for Somalian refugees are coming into the community. So these are grander scale activities that involve a lot of novel thinking, problem solving, self-expression, and these could have powerfully positive effects on people's lives. Yeah, they're wonderful examples, and I think examples of, you know, what I see so much of well-being being kind of that connection, engagement, purpose and meaning, meaningful relationships, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're describing just th- that important part, which is probably, at least what I find often, too, makes the difference between it being that exciting time of figuring out who am I and what can I do and how can I contribute in other ways versus, you know, that old notion of retiring, which is detaching, despair, it's all downhill, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So Yeah, and being it's passive a beautiful is example an old notion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I, I would say the overwhelming impression, I guess, of all the retirees that, that I interviewed and the interviews that, that colleagues did that I've read, is that these people are active. They want mm-hmm. to be active, and they are active. And even some of them who have physical limitations are are active in whatever ways they can be, and, and that makes an enormous difference in how positive their experience is. Absolutely. So with that in mind, before I open it up and start integrating some of the questions from others, what if you – I mean, you, you shared a lot about it, but, like, what have you discovered that you could sort of share a little more about that the, the kind of retirement transition process and the different ways that people move through it. If you, I mean, I know you haven't totally analyzed all of the data yet, but do you have some sense of, you know, kind of what you've been seeing so far? Yeah. The team, the, the, the part of my research team that has been focusing on what they call life structure has identified four developmental tasks. Uh, you can think of these as tasks of retirement. That that people, all all of the people that we've interviewed who have who have retired, have gone through these different aspects or are currently going through them. These these tasks, usually in the sequence that I'm going to say them, but not always, and sometimes cycling back to earlier ones. So the first one, obviously, is making the decision to retire. That is for 
all of us an important developmental task, at least before in the U.S. We have to make that decision uh, when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Are we going to try to uh, do a step-down thing if our organization allows it, if our organization offers it? Will we try to work part-time as we're transitioning to retirement? And that, in fact, is what I'm doing right now. I, I have a part-time appointment at Harvard Business School, and it's just it's suiting me beautifully right now at this point in my life. And so that Developmental task that is very difficult for some people. We've got people in our study who we were following through the retirement transition, and we didn't know if we'd ever be able to do a post-retirement interview with them because they they kept pushing back their their <laughs> retirement date. And, oh, I'm not quite ready. Oh, you know, I've talked to over with the spouse, and it just doesn't seem to make sense right now. Why, you know, there's this big project going on, and they did all finally retire, I can say, but um, we were beginning to wonder. But it, it is a big decision, and some people struggle with it. Other people made the decision when they were 30 or 40 years old. I'm going to retire when I'm 62. Why, that's going to be my goal. And they work to do their financial planning around that. And by golly, that 62nd birthday comes and they're retired. So we see a huge range of how people do it. But the second developmental task is detaching from work. It's easy for some people, as I said, to either put a bow on it and walk away or slam the door and walk away. Uh, but for other people, that detachment is a long and sometimes painful process where they feel like they should be doing something or they they wish they were doing something with the company. They try to get some part-time contracting work with the company. And in fact, sometimes they do. And the company will ask them to do some 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 actual contracting work for pay after they leave. And there are people who do that, and one is almost working full-time for, for the company. And that detachment seemed to be really difficult. Uh, and it wasn't for financial reasons. Uh, we think that it had a lot to do with identity and with not one net life structure to change. That structure of the job actually is kind of comfortable for most of us, even those of us who feel kind of stressed working full-time. It, we never have to think about what we're going to be doing for most of those waking hours, most of the week. So that that can be a difficult process, and people do approach it in very different ways. The third developmental task is is beginning to architect a new life structure with all of this time that you've got now uh, after retirement. Where are you going to be? Literally, where physically are you going to be spending your time? Is it going to be in the home? Is it going to be in the neighborhood, in the local community? Are you going to be traveling? How much? Where? With whom? What are you going to be doing with those hours that you now have, that you've been, that you have the freedom to make decisions about what you're going to do? So that involves, for many people, probably most, a period of experimentation, exploring new activities, often exploring new new groups or individuals to get involved with, to develop new relationships, hobby activities, sometimes are that are completely new. Sometimes it's re-exploring something that you you had in, enjoyed much earlier in your life or that you had always wanted to do, but never had the time to do. Now you you were able to explore that. So this is a, a period of a lot of kind of uncertainty, which can feel less comfortable for some people and more comfortable for other people. I think it has to do with sort of personality differences. Some of us are more, more tolerant and comfortable with ambiguity than others. And the final stage, the fourth developmental task, is consolidating a new life structure and kind of settling into it and feeling like, yeah, now you've got an established routine and and it fits. Not that it's going to stay that way forever. You're likely to recycle in that exploration stage or readjusting the life structure. Possibly even you're going to need to revisit detaching from work. But at some point, you do feel like you're you're more settled. So those are the four developmental tasks that we've identified, mm-hmm. and and we're seeing a variety of ways in which people move through them. And of course, 
identity and creativity and relationships are all intertwined with moving through these four developmental tasks. Oh, that's great to to hear. I, I wish we had more and more times, but I want to integrate some of the other questions now. This is just hopefully. Oh, hopefully, yeah. you'll come back another time after you've you know continued some of the anal- analyzing of the data. Oh yes, I think in within the next four years we're going to have much yeah. more to say. Yeah, I mean it really supports so much of what I see, you know, in my work, and it's just really nice always to have some research to to support that. It's helpful for mm-hmm. everybody involved, both the people helping people mm-hmm. as well as the people going through it. Mm-hmm. So let me just integrate a few of the questions. So Susan from Victoria says, I'm curious, curious about how much influence your research interest and questions had on your participants, as in possibly providing them with meaning and purpose that they might otherwise not have had. Oh, Susan, that is such an interesting question. Yeah. I can think of one participant in particular, and this is someone that I interviewed multiple times because she was going through the retirement transition. She was just entering into it when we started our study, who, when I first recruited her to be in the study, said to me on the phone, I think this will be an interesting experience because it will give me kind of a structure for thinking about retirement and my retirement life. She she almost used the same words that, that you just read in that question. Mm-hmm. I don't I can't think of anyone else who was that explicit about it, but many of them when we conducted our final interview with them or if we interviewed them just once at the end of the interview would say something about finding it very interesting and helpful to have been able to reflect. So one research implication of that is, uh uh-oh, did we, the researchers, influence people? Did we actually change the thing we were trying to study? You know, it's the old Heisenberg uncertainty principle. (laughs) Of course, it's possible that we did. Mm -hmm. I think that our interviews were were open-ended enough and that we ourselves tried to maintain sufficiently neutral in our responses during the interviews that we didn't really influence people that much. And I have to tell listeners, Doreen Minster advised us, advised my research team and me on on how we could conduct ourselves during an interview so that people we were interviewing would have a positive experience and so that we wouldn't unduly affect anything that they were telling us or, or going through in their lives. The other The other implication, though, is that we can actually pose these questions to ourselves as we're approaching the retirement transition or or as we're experiencing those years of retirement. Where am I with my identity? Are there pieces of an identity I had before I retired that I'd I'd like to revive or I'd like to to hold on to as I approach this? Are there activities that I might be able to get involved in? that I will find give me a nice structure to my life, allow me to retain that sense of freedom that I want, but 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 give me meaning and purpose and structure to my life and allow me to keep important pieces of my work identity. I think if we can ask ourselves the questions that we interviewers ask our participants, mm-hmm. uh, that reflection might might help us. Excellent point. So Meg from Weston says this is a fascinating study. I'm curious about how salient a sense of purpose and also a perspective of individual legacy is for these people and whether either or both is correlated with ease of transition or satisfaction in retirement. Meg, I would say my impression very clearly, and again, we need more analysis to say, but my very clear impression is that to the extent that people feel they do have a purpose to their lives, that they are doing something meaningful, they are better off. Whether they're pre-retirement or post-retirement, they they feel more more satisfied with their lives, more comfortable with themselves, basically happier. So that, that's a, a clear pattern for me in my reading of these interviews so far. The other question is about legacy and Boy, we actually had a question on legacy in our interview protocol. Toward the end, we asked people, you know, we we say some people think about leaving a legacy to life or their work. That's something you, um, some people will say no. (laughs) 
many people say yes. And they will talk about their families very often. Feeling they're like they is the good people that their children have become and that they if they have grandchildren they will often say they, they their legacy is going to be lived through their children and their grandchildren, the values that they've tried to teach them and the good that they've tried to do in the world and that they've tried to teach their families to do in the world. And some will mention their work as a legacy as well. They may say, you know, I I, I hope that I've left behind a positive culture in in the research and development uh, unit of, of the company, or I hope that I've left behind some processes that will be very useful to people in years to come. Whether or not they remember that those, that aspect of the culture or those processes or those ideas, but that, that that work that I did will will live on and will make lives better for people working in the company or for our customers, our clients in the future. Wonderful. Well, I'm just looking at the time, and we've had a couple of comments. A call from New Hampshire just said that from his experience, he's a gerontologist, he says he uses the phrase change and focus to give this transition a positive framing and avoid retirement, which suggests withdrawal or dropping out. So I guess the question is, did you find in any way that, that kind of the impact of the term retirement? Huh. We have a little association game <laughs> part of our interview protocol. And one of the 12 or so words that we have is retirement. We just ask, well, do you, do you say the first thing that pops into your head when, when we say these words to you? We say retirement. Most people actually have a very positive connotation mm-hmm. to that. They will say things like freedom, flexibility, exploration, excitement, enjoyment. However, Another one of our words is retiree, and almost everyone has a negative association to that word. Because I think precisely for, for the reason that this, this gerontologist from Rancor said, it sounds like you're withdrawing, you're washed up. And these are literally the words that people use, old, broken down, washed up. Grandma sitting in the rocking chair. I mean, gosh, you know, images that most of us in that age bracket kind of want to push away. And that's certainly what our, our participants get. So, yeah, there's, there's something about those words in this culture. We've got to, I don't know if the words are going to go away, but I hope we can change the connotation of what they mean. But retiree is something, is, is a person who has newfound freedom and years and years of healthy, active life ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I think the word retirement is what people know, but it's people often say, let's retire the word retirement and think of other, uh-huh. other words. Yeah. I must say, since you yeah. commented on it before, I mean, I, I did feel so honored to be asked early on in it about some of the, of the questions and stuff, and it, it just feels nice to feel a little a little part of <laughs> part of your wonderful work. Yes, and um, now you're seeing some of the fruits of your your input. Yeah. But I know we have to pull it to a close in the, in a minute because of mm-hmm. your schedule and I hope you will come back at another time. I mean clearly this is a topic that many many people are interested in. We have such a wide range of people from all over here. But maybe in mm-hmm. just the last moment or so. Let me just mention on the website, there's a TEDx talk that Teresa did, which is a lovely TEDx talk that you may want to see, plus ways to order her earlier book on creativity. There isn't yet anything written up from from this study. But maybe my final question, or you can think about it in whatever way is helpful for you in terms of takeaways, but what are some of the big surprises that you think that you've learned that people encounter as their life structure changes after they leave work. I think one big surprise is how hard it is to plan a new life. Almost everyone did a lot of financial plan, at least these professionals that we included in our study. We'll say it's important to plan your life, your post-retirement life before you retire. They will use phrases like jumping off into the void, don't want to do that. Leaping off a cliff, don't want to do that. 
but so many of them actually kind of do. <laughs> they really don't do any planning for their beyond the finances uh, before they retire. So that's one surprise that I think we can avoid. Mm. Another surprise is avoidable, and it's often an uncomfortable surprise, is how much the spousal relationship shifts after retirement, after one or both parties retire. So that is something that's a good idea to talk to your partner about well in advance and explore, possibly explore with a coach or a counselor so that it can be as positive as, yeah, so it can be as positive as possible for both of you. And I so enjoyed sharing these results with you asked if I if I was going to come back in the future, absolutely. And I don't necessarily think I should volunteer my teammates, my Richard team colleagues, uh, without okay. asking them. But I'm kind of doing, I'm kind of doing that right now. I, okay. I in the future, it might be, it might be fun to have a couple of us on on a call with you. That could be, yeah, really fun. Different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. And I know you need to run, but we'll we'll be in touch, Teresa. I think that would be great. Maybe we can get you and some teammates uh, back to talk more about this as you've gotten further yeah. with your your analysis of it. Thank you so much for taking the time, being with us, and um, thanks for being here. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.